You know, I was really surprised that Snoke ended up being Jar Jar all along. Oh, we're live. Okay. Um, hey, folks. Welcome to another episode of Biomast. We're on episode 186, I think. Uh, and, and there will likely be a live killing on this show if somebody spoils Star Wars for me. <laughs> it, it, I, I'm sorry, guys. If, if you caught that, it's you know, Jar Jar ended up being a Sith Lord the whole time. It, you know, I think some of us knew it was coming, but uh, we'll, we'll play it safe and there won't be any spoilers. We'll give our, our spoiler-free review in a second here. But let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sir Izel. Hi, I'm uh, Sir Izel, and uh, I did go see the Star Wars movie this weekend. All right, and Libby? Introduction. Introduction. Hello, I'm... Yes, we all do various different things. And Jay, you're up. Yes, my name is Jay. I'm also one of the hosts here on Biomass, and I did not see Star Wars this uh, this weekend. And I have absolute rock solid stone cold lead pipe lock assurances that uh, these Yahoos will not spoil it for the audience <laughs> or me uh, under pain of ass whipping. Uh, so, uh, what I got for, let's see, 186. This one's actually kind of easy. So, during World War II, there was a, uh, a United States Navy destroyer called the USS Clemson. I know this only because a lot of, I have a lot of family that are that's actually from Clemson, South Carolina, and it's kind of one of those like. Uh, like random factoids you pick up. Uh, and, and for the record, I don't believe that the, the ship was named after the town. I'm pretty, I thought it, pretty sure it wasn't. Uh, I thought it was just named after a dude named Clemson, I think. It's oh, pretty interesting. All right. And uh, I'm Pokey Draven. Obviously, I help you know host the show here and I do the Dungeon Crawl series with Livy over on YouTube. We finished up a couple games uh, and DLCs that we will talk about later in the show. But to get things started, uh, let's do Star Wars Episode 8, kind of a preliminary review. Absolutely no spoilers whatsoever, just our very general broad thoughts. Uh, we, of course, will probably do spoilers in a couple of weeks after everyone on the show has seen the film and uh, everyone listening has had a chance to you know, take a look at it. So that being said, Zell, in general, what did you think? I, I enjoyed it. Um, it definitely didn't feel like a clone of a previous Star Wars movie, uh, which was a nice touch. Um, it felt kind of slow It as in the beginning in particular. It really dragged i felt like um i mean without going into detail about anything about what's going on the movie has really two major groups of characters they are telling stories with throughout this movie and they basically flip back and forth between those two sets of of events uh throughout the whole film um and obviously things come together near the end um but yeah i felt like a lot of it kind of dragged i thought it was kind of slow did you care for the film though overall? I, I mean, I, I would say in general, I, I did enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it was not exactly what I expected, and that was a good thing. Um, it was all right. It's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, I think the the general way I would describe it is it it definitely succeeds in one not being just a copy of a previous film. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of shade was kind of thrown at. Um, at episode seven for being a lot like a new hope. Uh, this definitely does not do that. This is very unlike any other film they've done so far. So I think that, you know, subverting expectations is kind of a major theme of what's going on. There were several moments where I was extremely surprised. Like I coming out of left field, I had no idea that would happen, you know? Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, at the same time, I think when you subvert expectations on that level, uh, it can kind of make you, 
you were expecting it to go a certain way and it didn't. I mean, I know it's kind of the same thing, but I think it could be a good and a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's good to be surprised. It also can be kind of a bad thing to think a, a, a plot is going a certain direction and it just completely does a 90 degree turn and it, it's not going that way anymore. Uh, and I think that, you know, in the moment it felt good with kind of the surprises that happened. Um, but afterwards kind of thinking about it, it's like, huh, it's kind of weird that they did it that way, you know? So I think the film is, is quite, good um it was i think an improvement over episode seven uh i'm not really quite sure if i like it more or less than rogue one at this point but i'm kind of a rogue one fanboy but you know i, I think it's a, it's still a very good film it was worth my time uh but has some flaws i think in general what do you think libby i know you were there uh, i agree it was kind of i mean i mean i'm I like Star Wars, but I know that for that kind of towards, I don't know if they last this year, like, oh, that happened. I'm getting whiplash. Oh, that happened. Okay. I mean, the whole time you're just kind of like, what of this? Okay. So I I liked it overall, um, not being hard Star Wars fan, but I think they're going down a a good path of how they want it. It seems like they have a good idea of how they are. Am I trying to protect the franchise from the inevitable of character. Yeah. And I think this film had, it was very clear in what kind of mythos it was trying to go towards. Like this is, you know, the exact details of how things will play out. Um, in episode nine is very clearly up in the air. Um, pretty much anything could happen, but I think there's a general theme, um, sort of thread they're kind of going down and they, they quite blatantly say it i think almost a couple times in the film that yeah this is kind of where we're going with the whole concept of what this this you know the series of films is going to be this trilogy um so i think that we'll, we'll we'll go into episode nine probably knowing kind of the general theme of what they want to do but i think that due to the nature of what happens throughout the film of episode eight I have no idea exactly what's going to happen in terms of details um, in episode nine, because they, they, they've set it up in such a way that it's like, well, it's anyone's game at this point on what's going to happen. So um, I think that's probably a good thing. I I like having that level of unpredictability, knowing what's going to happen moving forward. Um, But I do like that general like thread of thought that they're following. I think that's going to be an interesting way um, to wrap up all nine films. I think it's going to be a real good way to kind of bring this era to a close. But yeah, overall, Zell, like, what would you give it, like, on a, a scale out of one out of ten, ten being the best? Like a seven. Okay. What about you, Libby? Uh, yeah, I'd probably put it like seven, seven and a half ish. You know, it's it's very clearly above average, but I think it probably uh, could have been better. I think just on a very macro level. Um, on a micro level, like the moment-to-moment stuff, all really quite well done. I think it was really enjoyable. Um, but on a macro level, it's like, eh, it's, it feels a little weird on certain points, but it wasn't to a degree where I felt it ruined the film. So, you know, very much worth the time. Um, I had a good time, you know, going, getting in line, all that stuff. Uh, luckily, we had a, a we got at the beginning of the line pretty close, so we didn't have to wait around too long. But, uh, yeah, it was a good experience, well worth the time. If you haven't seen it yet, I really do suggest you go and check it out. Um, as soon as possible, because I'm sure that dodging spoilers is going to be harder and harder as time goes on. And there's definitely stuff that can be spoiled very easily. So, you know, be careful. Be very hey, careful out there. What are the? Go ahead, Jay. But I was just going to ask: better or worse than Force Awakens? I would say better. 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 Much better. Much better. Yes. Wow. Um, much better. Okay. 
Yeah, um, I, it, it, if Better Than Force Awakens on par with Rogue One, I'm kind of back and forth on that one. But they're good for different reasons, so it's kind okay. of hard to tell. Yeah. No, I'll buy that. I, I liked Rogue One better, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so much better in that it is not literally just the movie you expected, which is really what I felt The Force Awakens was. Um, and obviously there were you know reasons for that to get people back on board with the franchise and, and them putting out new new movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the things I wanted to throw out there as something that's been really, really funny the last couple days, uh, is, and, and it does a reasonable job of dodging like important spoilers. Um, but, uh, very lonely Luke on, on Twitter, um, is, is kind of, has been a parody account that's existed since, uh, the force awakens came out. Um, and, uh, he's he's kind of stepped it up for the new movie and it's, it's very funny. He he's made a couple remarks that tie to specific moments in the movie that really don't mean much. But when you see his tweet, you're like, Oh, ha, ha, ha. Uh, actually on that thread, what do you guys think of the humor in general um, for the film? Like, do you think it was more hit than miss or like, what would you think in general? Oh, that's a- I thought it was it decent. Definitely, it, was- it definitely catches on to the, the, the culture of, you know how we're all about trolling, you know that kind of. <laughs> I'm, I'm that's that that's just how I feel. It's like it's ah. Yeah, I think that there's there's some funny character moments between multiple characters, you know, just in, in things they do and say. I, I know there was quite a few where I was I was laughing pretty hard. Um, Livy was next to me when we saw it, so she she knows which one I'm talking about. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, but I think there were some other moments where it was like, eh, eh. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of kind of a miss, but you know, I think the the good ones kind of made up for it. I think it it fit. It was about the level of of humor that I expect. Um, it it wasn't it wasn't there. Were, I can't I can't recall any moments that were cringeworthy. Um, there there were you know definitely some really funny moments, and there were some that were just you know obviously you know here's our appeal to kids. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was pretty good. Okay. Okay, good stuff. All right, guys. Well, I think that's that's probably it um, for for episode eight for right now. We'll of course come back once everyone's seen it in a couple weeks and uh, kind of give it a full deep dive. I think there's quite a bit of stuff to talk about, um, particularly about the choices they made in terms of story and you know moving forward. But uh, overall, pretty good film. Worth your time. Go see it, and uh, we'll talk about it in a couple weeks. So moving along here, uh, Zell, yeah, buddy, Spider Man. Into the so, Spider-Verse. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is one that I actually saw this. This was a couple weeks ago that they put out this trailer. And it it it's animated. So I immediately thought this is going to be one of those direct-to-Blu-ray sorts of releases like DC does all the time. And so I glanced at it, but then I kind of put it aside. And I wanted to mention it here because I realized later this is, a, this is actually a theatrical release that they're going to do uh, next Christmas. Um and uh, so it is a it is a stylized animated Spider-Man. It is uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Um, and this is, of course, a Sony movie, um, not connected to the MCU. Yeah, the art style in this one looks really on point. Like, I'm not even really sure how to describe it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cel-shaded CGI, but not what we're used to. Um, but it looks it looks really good just from from the short trailer they had out there. Do you know anything about this this universe that they're kind of going into? I'm not a Spider-Man buff, so I, the no. Spider-Verse universe. Yes, sir. So there, there's a couple different versions of it. Um, the one that was probably the most recent 
that was actually relatively uh, in line with the, like the comic properties was on the uh, the, the current running Spider-Man animated show. So long, long story short, bad guy gets a hold of um, uh, basically, you know, more or less, you know, Rick's dimension gun for, for lack of a better term. And he needs to collect up, I think, DNA from multiple different types of Spider-Mans. Uh, so he starts popping through the through the different sort of multiverse, and there's like a ton of canon multiverse Spider-Man. There's the Peter Parker. There's a couple three versions of Peter Parker. There's Miles Morales. There's a uh, like a noir Spider-Man, like Spider-Man by Gaslight kind of thing. Spider-Man 2099. Then there's like a Spider Ham. It's like a pig dressed up as Spider-Man. It's actually like a a canon. It's the, all these anthropomorphic, uh, you know, Marvel characters in this one world. Uh, there, there's a, a ton of different. There's one where all the gender roles are reversed, and it's like uh, I can't I can't remember a name. Uh, it's not Peter Parker, but it's basically Peter Parker as a girl. Uh, just flipped all the all the genders in the universe. So there, there's there's quite a few, and it's following I think Norman Osborn as in one of his versions of the the Green Goblin, of which. There's multiple Green Goblins, so, and there's like a there's like a uh, a medieval a medieval knight Spider-Man. There's there's quite a few different uh, different flavors of him, but long story short, it's sort of a chase between the Spider-Man Prime and the Green Goblin, not Prime, but a different one, uh, a much more powerful, almost like Hulk-like looking one, as it bounced between the multiverse, uh, and, and it's. It, it, the, the animated version was actually really good. It was pretty solid and it unfolded over like several different, you know, 20 minute episodes on Saturday mornings and stuff like that here in the last year or two. Uh, I am unsure if that is what this is going to be, but I suspect there's going to be some pretty strong elements of it. Yeah. I mean, it looks interesting. Like I said, it's, it's unusual to see, you know, an animated, I'll say adult film, I guess. Um, cause it looks like it's a little more mature, but uh, you know, it, it looks good. It looks good. It'll be interesting to kind of see how that goes. And it looks like uh, Christmas 2018. Is that right, Zell? That's what it says. Yeah. And and yeah, this just looked like the sort of film that, that they do like the direct, you know, direct to disc, direct to streaming sort of animated movies like DC does a lot of. And Marvel used to do a few of. Um, but this is, a, this is a full theatrical release, which is – and Christmas is not a, you know, not a time you release your, your – you know, low end showings either. Right. Yeah. The, the animation style in this is very unique. It's, it is very cool. Yeah. I was kind of taken back by it. I was like, Oh shit. You know, I, you hear Spider-Man animated film and you, you kind of expect one thing and this is definitely not it. It's, it's very on point, very cool looking. So, you know, I do suggest you guys check out that trailer cause it's uh it's hard to describe, but it's worth it. So speaking of superhero films and uh, a topic we've kind of touched on a number of times, kind of the, the, issue that Disney has faced owning part of the Marvel universe and a, a large chunk of it owning, you know, belonging to Fox. Uh, Disney is now officially looking at purchasing 21st century Fox um, to kind of rope in all of the properties they have, which is, as we know, extremely extensive. So um, I know you I think Jay and, and Zell kind of brought this one up. So what's the kind of details on this? This is a pretty big deal. Well, so there, you know, I, I think, uh, a lot of us will focus on, you know, well, they get X-Men and Fantastic Four back because that's kind of what we think of. And I think that people have, you know, grabbed onto that. 
as you know hey we're gonna get we're gonna get x-men and the avengers and like i i think uh hugh jackman has even said he'd come back and do wolverine again if it was an avengers movie um but this is a huge this is you know there are six major studios and this is like the biggest one buying i think like the third biggest yeah it's Um, one in three and uh if this completes uh disney will basically be 40 percent of the movie industry um and uh, so there's actually already been like uh, there are members of Congress who've suggested that antitrust regulation step in and prevent this sale. And as much as I would like to see the the X-Men, you know, and back in the MCU, I- I'm I'm leaning towards saying that that would be preferable that that this sale not be not be allowed to go through. Um, but I mean, they're they're going to own like they're going to pick up like five or six different TV channels uh, will become Disney properties um umpteen billion different franchises i mean fox yeah. owns so much it's, one of the yeah, i'm sorry Zell, go ahead oh well i was going to say like one of the ones that i didn't even think about is disney will own firefly after if this closes um i think someone said fox has rocky horror picture show which is probably the weirdest thing disney could ever own um uh, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, if you think about it, like between FX, National Geographic and their, their normal Fox studios, I mean, that, here, here, so yeah, I got all the comic book ones. They'll get Avatar. Uh, that's, they'll get the one, Simpsons. Yeah. You know, that, that's. You and know, Family Guy. Crazy. Yeah. The Deadpool, Orville. All that shit. Um, it's, it'll be interesting. Now, mind you, Avatar actually would be a really uh, decent fit for them as it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh. Uh, how many people know this, but uh, Disney World actually launched this past year a big World of Avatar attraction. So mm. they already they already have a deal with a huge Avatar thing that they literally built floating islands in in, in Disney World. Oh, that shit's well. Um, the you know the one I've, I've seen a couple of things. I, Zell's by the way spot on in in his kind of analysis. I think this is a little over forty billion in terms of what they're proposing for raw cash. I think. Uh, there, there's a couple things going on here. He he is not wrong in any way in terms of the, and it kind of depends on how you count what is the quote unquote percentage of movie making. Uh, the the obvious out on this one is uh, they adjust the deal and they simply take the IPs and then they leave the studios. There's that would not surprise me if this looks like it's going to get tubed by uh, by antitrust regulators that they would simply snap up the IPs that they want and hand a lot of that stuff back to Fox. Um, Cause Fox that, will still be around as a news right. network. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're spinning off all, all of the uh, basically the, the non, you know, like, like that, the, like they're keeping their Fox channel, Fox business, Fox news, all the different Foxes that are related to their business uh, and news media world. That's a total different ball game. But the other thing that's kind of interesting here is the one thing that I think Disney really has in its in its pocket right now is um, when you start counting things like Netflix, Netflix, Google, and Apple, and how they are getting into the entertainment business. Uh, and I think that they also get a large chunk of Hulu, by the way. They get they, they will have sixty yeah. percent total. Yeah, because and this is this is the one thing where I, I'm not like while I agree with everything. Zell said, you know, for the most part, I actually, I think this will go through. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, they can easily just take the IPs. So it, it may be kind of a fait accompli with that one. But the other one is, I, th- I think it really depends on how you calculate the percentage of movie making now. 
because of the rise of a lot of these, you know, things like Netflix, you know, like the Apple TV, Google's getting into it. There's a lot, a lot of other services coming out. Disney's Disney's got its own service that they're cooking. I, I, I think you could make a pretty good case that just going off the raw studio model is not telling the whole story. Now, true, true statement, the number one and number three, you know, producing, I don't know if that's by dollar amount or by quantity of product. I'm not sure, but I, I think it's dollar amount in terms of like money, money made. That is, that's a big bite when you take the number one and number three and put them together. But I don't, I don't know that that entirely gets them to the point where it's going to stop you from uh, stop the deal going. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, you're really talking about just intellectual property and the rights to things for the most part. There's clearly some studio assets that, that you know, like physical assets that go with this, but that's not really what most of this money is going for. No, I, IP is where, where the value is in, in anything. I mean, I like, it's the one thing you can't just open up your own competitor to. You can't just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to compete at, at selling, you know, Marvel movies, you know, that's, well, that's have, the value. Has there been any, I mean, I am certainly not an antitrust lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't think of another, uh, another antitrust lawsuit that was predominantly based on IP or based on IPs at all. Because if you think about it, there it, is no, there's no anti, there's no trust in, in that other than those specific IPs. It's literally go make your own superhero movie. Just don't call it Marvel, whatever. It touches on like, it touches on Comcast NBC a little bit. Um, you know, no, well, those uh, are service providers because of the hardware that they bring. Well, not just that. I mean, there was, there was one, some of the terms on Hulu were laid down as part of that Comcast NBC deal. Um, you know, because there was concern that they would tie their networks to their content. And especially with Disney getting into the, we're going to become a content provider in next year thing. Um, they're going to hit some of the same people are going to start, you know, there are going to be companies wondering, Hey, is, uh, you know, Netflix is already wondering if they're going to lose their Marvel series is, uh, you know, in the future, I, you know, they may get to keep the ones they're already, you know, co-creating, but they may not get any more. Um, but you know, Disney's going to pull all their other content. Could Disney start pulling all their Fox content everywhere too? Um, that's, those are all big questions. I you, think. In you could, but. But here's the thing: as long as companies like Hulu, Netflix, and Apple TV, uh, hell, even Sony Entertainment have exclusive ex exclusive offerings, you, I I don't know how I don't I don't really know how they parse this out uh, in terms of this is something that we we've got to stop Disney from doing. M mostly because it's really effectively tied up in, uh, like I said, like intellectual property, not necessarily. Uh, raw services because you can always make more services in terms of the, you know for entertainment value. You're talking about how many people are. If you think about it, this is a small part of it, but one of the arguments will be how many people are allowed to make Marvel movies. Well, it's the people that own whatever those rights are, and how do you stop people from accruing all the rights to those things? Because it wouldn't take much for for a lot of really tricky lawsuits to go flipping around. Uh, like, hey, well, so Warner Brothers is the only people who can put out DC product? Well, kind of right now, yeah. So that's the, I, I, like I said, I think in some way, shape, or form, this is still going to go through. It may not look like what they're saying it is, it's going to be now, but I think a lot of, a lot of this will go through. Uh, if for no other reason, it'll be the properties that they, that they pick up. And, and Disney's actually already trying to parse out how they would do some of this in some of their press statements. I mean, they, they think, 
what they see is Hulu is exists pretty much in its in its current form that's designed for more uh, like adults or, or like really like all comers. And then you've got their specific Disney offering that is probably in the grand scheme of things, not that much different than like the Disney channel. It is a very specific to their Disney branded products that that's probably more kid friendly. Um, and I, so I could see that, that kind of, you know, that kind of vein in terms of some of this stuff, but I, I really can't see somebody going to war. You know, I, I just don't see the US government saying, Hey, you can't have all the, all this whole huge stack of intellectual property. There may be some controls on how it gets, uh, moved around, but even that is, I think, fraught with danger, just based on how rapid content generation and really content consumption is changing right now. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the other thing is that I, I, this is one of those things where people have, will ask, like, "Well, what does this mean for this right now? What does this mean for oh, this nothing. right now?" Yeah, nothing, because it's going to be twelve to eighteen months till this closes. Um, cause I, like I've heard discussions about like the way iTunes sells Disney movies in 4k is different or they don't offer it in 4k right now or something like that. Cause Apple's upgrading everyone, but Disney to 4k automatically on Apple TV. Um, and people ask like, well, how will that affect, you know, our, our Fox shows? I'm like, well, for a year and a half, it's not. So <laughs> it, it's going to take some time for this to all get sorted out. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. The uh, the all of, all of these kind of random musings and, and like you know volleys back and forth that we're putting out right now on the podcast. If you think about it, this has to go. I mean, you're going to have like rooms of lawyers and uh, you you know commercial and antitrust lawyers and really just like business lawyers in general and accountants going through this. Uh, like just going to war with all these different kind of questions, and I don't mean a bad way, just trying to figure out what it means. Because one thing I, I think I think we could agree on uh, ultimately is a lot a lot of the other folks in the entertainment world are probably leery of this in terms of like, well, that all it really does is further make the number one guy even more number one, you know, so to speak, even more monolithic. the The flip side though is what they're really concerned about is the United States government stepping in and saying here's how you can parse your content out. Uh, I think I think that's one of the things that, that, again, Disney might have working in its favor is not a lot of people like it when the government does that. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how this plays out and if it, if it changes from what we're looking at now or if we go through as is or get shut down completely. I think it'll be very curious to, to kind of see how that works. But like, like you guys said, this is a year to a year and a half away, and it's going to morph and change a lot in that time period. So, you know, don't freak out if you're worried about a certain uh, IP right now. It's 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 not even on their radar well, what they're doing with the, that. The, Im- the important thing is they actually basically have said that they expect uh, they expect Deadpool to remain R-rated. And well, they don't. Well, they don't not, play they're they're not going to get that. rid of that because I mean Disney. Even I think they would, they used they, they used to own it, Miramax, but and they got think rid of about it. what Miramax put out. So I don't think that they're very, they're, you know, they're not strangers to that kind of stuff, or, you know, ratings of, I, I don't think they're going to say no to a money made Disney. Yeah. I mean, the, the, they, they love family friendly content, but they also love making money and Deadpool made a, a shitload of money and I'm sure Deadpool 2 will also make a shitload of money. So they'll probably keep their branding off of it in any possible fashion, but they'll just kind of go, just do it and give, you know, give us whatever our cut is, you know, and it will be good. So, you know, I, I'm not too concerned about anything in particular, but uh, yeah, should be interesting. So moving along here, uh, Zell, 
our resident Blizzard expert. Um, give us the update for Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch. They got some stuff going on recently with that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Christmas events are, are well underway. Um, the uh, the big thing for Heroes of the Storm is that they did their uh, 2018 gameplay update, which launched in 2017 in, in classic Blizzard fashion of literally just shoving stuff out the door uh, quicker than you expect. Uh, the biggest change is that they changed uh, stealth characters. Uh, it used to be like this little shimmer effect that you could barely see unless you looked really, really close. And uh, now if the character is moving, uh, it is much more visible that they are there. And if they are not moving, they do not appear at all. So they're, they kind of removed the need for people to like get this, get this ability to detect little, you know, slight distortions on their screen out of the corner of their eye. Um, and in exchange for making them more visible as they move, um, they have given, they have buffed all the stealth characters, some of which I think they buffed way too much, but uh, I'm sure they'll sort it out. Um, as far as holiday events, uh, it's the usual, uh, both games have, uh, both Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch have, uh, skins available for purchase, uh, and, uh, holiday-themed loot boxes, which guarantee you one holiday-themed item, which will most likely be some piece of trash not worth your time. Um, so that's, that's most of it. Uh, Overwatch has a new game mode. Uh, they, t- they continue their... Last year they had a uh, snowball fight one where everybody gets like a one instagib snowball and then they can fire it at someone and then they have to find a pile of snow to, to rearm it and, and do it again. Um, and uh, this time they have like a, what is it, is, is the game, was the game Evolve? Uh, they have a 5v1. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So they give you five maze versus one like super buffed Yeti Winston. Um and uh, it's, it's actually uh, pretty fun. I haven't tried it yet, but it, uh, it is it is surprisingly fun. It, it's it's really good, and there's there's a couple neat game mechanics in there that you get it that that you're messing around with, like the Yeti Winston. He can eat. Uh, they've they've got like raw meat that you can that the maze uses a trap to lure him in, and if he eats them, then he gets more powerful. But the, that's like a known point where he can be ambushed by the maze. It's it is. It is an enjoyable game mode. It's surprisingly simple. It's surprisingly, like many things in Overwatch, it's really well done, very simple and clean, but there's a lot of uh, depth to it once you start kind of getting into it. There's a lot of options, rather, not necessarily depth, but just tactical options you can play with. So, yeah, I mean, as usual, you know, Blizzard is doing quite well with these things. Yeah, asymmetrical gameplay, like I've said before, it's real easy to do it badly, but if you do it right, it feels really good like there's some really interesting stuff that pops out of that sort of gameplay if you can balance it right so it doesn't surprise me that they managed to to get it right and that it's enjoyable because it's it's fun to, to kind of have that you know 4v1 or 5v1 sort of gameplay and uh it's kind of cool they did something like this i think it's kind of a fun thematic theme they can tie in and still give something new to the players is this pretty common that uh, they do like seasonal like one-off game modes? Yeah, um, they do. Uh, they have two different single-player uh, or, or not single-player. They have two different uh, like uh, PVE events uh, where they do a PVE game mode. Um, there's a, a Lucio Ball is like a sports game they do during the summer, which was kind of uh, Olympics based. Um, so yeah, th- this is this is something really common for them. They have a they have a game mode in Overwatch called Arcade where they have a bunch of different like kind of custom rules games um that they've they've put together. And then during holiday events they add a couple of these holiday ones instead of uh instead of the basic ones. Um 
And it's it yeah, it's one of those things where they they take the opportunity to play with it a little bit. Oh, sounds pretty cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm always like I said, I never play Overwatch, but I, I like hearing about the stuff they do. I think it's uh, they do a good job from the sounds of it, and uh, it's good to see content being pushed out in a reasonable and, and quick fashion. It's something you don't always see these days, so they've been doing well with that. Uh, and I always love hearing about these events. So speaking of events, Destiny Two: The Dawning is coming. Um, this is kind of the annual. Uh, Christmas, holiday, New Year's themed event that Destiny does. It was uh, pretty prevalent in Destiny 1 and it's showing up again here in Destiny 2. Uh, you know, it looks it looks pretty good. they got some good stuff coming. Um, it starts December 19th, so it'll probably be running live by the time this episode goes uh, goes up. So it's this coming Tuesday. Uh, and goes till January 9th, so you get about three weeks to, to do all the uh, events and that sort of stuff. They got a few different things they're doing. I guess there's snowball fights. Um, there's like piles of snow, I guess, in the tower. You can go and pick up snowballs and kind of hurl them at each other. Uh, and I guess there's also piles of snow in some of the like uh, open world strike sort of thing where I, you can like throw at an enemy and it does like a ton of damage and stuns them. Um, so it should be kind of interesting to see how much of an impact that actually has, um, especially in like high level content like the Nightfall and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out. Uh, looks like the Crucible is getting Mayhem mode, which is awesome. That's actually my favorite mode in the Crucible, which is they take like the standard game mode. It's usually like, you know, Clash or uh, Capture or whatever. But then they turn it into this like really insane thing where like your grenades cool down like four times faster than normal. And there's supers that like you, you get like seven supers in a round. Like it's total chaos um not balanced at all you know it's kind of one of those all over the place game modes but it's really fun because you feel like really powerful and you die all the time but you know it's it's kind of a nice change of pace from a less you know tight competitive mode to just something that's absolutely insane you can do some crazy weird builds with it and you know i i really enjoy mayhem i popped it quite a bit in destiny one i always you know logged in to, to do it then so I'm, I'm really stoked to hear that's coming uh, back for the dawning event this uh this coming week also looks like there's kind of a gift crafting system. So it's kind of like you go and get like a schematic from the tower and then you go and gather materials out in the world uh, to build a gift, I guess. And you give it to an NPC and then they return the favor by giving you something in return. Uh, they haven't really said exactly what those gifts are going to be, just that, you know, the system's going to be in place. Um, I know there's a couple of weapons that are dawning theme, like a sword I think they were showing off. I'm not sure if it's anything more than that, but I know that is... Uh, one of the options and that might may or may not be part of the whole gift thing but uh you know it'll be kind of cool to see you know them add this sort of thing where you can do mini quests where you're going and gathering resources and, and turning them in so that should be kind of fun uh and of course you know as expected there's new dawning themed cosmetics coming to the eververse store so uh eververse is the loot crate kind of cycle that they've got in destiny 2 um you can either purchase the 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 bright engrams, which is what uh, the cosmetics come out of, or you get one whenever you level your character up uh, past level 25 or 20, depending on you know if you have the DLC or not. So uh, those will be kind of in the rotation for things that can possibly drop from the bright engrams. However, if you do have excess bright dust from breaking down cosmetics, um, you can purchase these items um, every week. So they're probably going to have like two each week and they're going to cycle them out uh, over the three week period. So if you've got the bright dust, you can probably just sort of buy the cosmetic stuff if you want, or you can try your, your luck at uh, the loot crates and see if you can get it that way. So yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. If I remember right, a lot of their, uh, their seasonal stuff, it's like limited time. It's only active during the, during the festival, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I saw a couple of pictures of some of them. They look pretty good. Just randomly, uh, it's, it's kind of continue to play around it and like look at the, some of the things that they've added in with uh, like uh, the Curse of Osiris. A lot of their a lot of their decorative items are exceptionally well done. They have a lot a lot of ornaments for uh, uh, more of the weapons and a lot of the armor now. Uh, it's actually you know some of it looks really really sharp. It's uh, pretty impressive. And if they could just fix some of the kind of the the gameplay activities, which uh, which they've absolutely come on board and, and kind of categorically said you know they 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 are working on. Uh, that, that they acknowledge that some some certain things need to be changed. Um, I think they're gonna they're basically following the the current mode of they're, they're relearning everything they learned from Destiny One. Rough launch, a lot of goodness in the game, but they need to fight through that to get people attracted and keep coming back. They're really good at these seasonals, though. I think Blizzard by far is probably the best game studio out there with a you know kind of a games as a service model that that brings people back and back with their events, their seasonal events. Destiny relies way too much on their their weeklies, so to speak, you know, or there's always something going on about once a week. There's like something, but it, it sort of saturates you. Whereas something like, I think they had a, they had a, a winter, a spring, spring slash summer. And I, and I think they had a Halloween thing. I think they only did about three if in, in Destiny. Whereas Blizzard is a little bit more, there's four seasons. We have four events. This is how this is going to go. Uh, and if they can kind of make this into, into something a little bit more fun, I think it'll be good. I, I am kind of interested in how the snowballs are going to work in all, in all fairness. Yeah, I think that could be fun. I mean, social spaces, I'm always kind of like, eh, you know, they're, they're, they're nice, I guess. But I think that sometimes you have those weird things pop out of just random people who aren't even talking to each other um, in social spaces. So it could be kind of fun to see crazy snowball fights in the hangar, you know, just weird, not really part of the core gameplay, but it's kind of one of those community moments, you know, and I think that could be kind of fun. Yeah. Now I, I just hope they change the floors lava game on the, in the tower. Have you seen oh, that God. one yet? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, that, that one is, that, that's kind of a fun little hidden I, thing. I felt like a, an idiot. Like, cause I was like, you know, cause you, you, I spent like, you know, an hour or more, like just wandering in the tower, trying to find all the collectibles and stuff. And I like, go up through that little that little ramp overlooking like the main part of the tower and it and it's obviously something you can interact with and says don't pick it up and i was like fuck it i'm picking it up the next thing you know is like ah my character's dying why is my character dying (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's they had some fun with it and i think that they're still kind of dialing in on giving that sort of identity to destiny and what sort of things they put in it and you know how it all feels and works and like you said they're relearning some lessons that they probably should have retained because they got it right in destiny one eventually uh and it didn't quite translate over to the new game but you know it is what it is you know we we kind of knew what we were getting into with this one so i kind of shrug my shoulders and go well you know hopefully they figure it out soon you know so uh lots of good stuff coming down the pipeline have you played around at all with kind of the new systems they've had for like the masterwork weapons and stuff yep uh they it adds a little bit of grind of kind of grindy stuff that some of the hardcore players really like uh effectively you get a kill counter on a weapon you can select whether it's pvp or pve if you if you make the masterwork yourself uh or if you you, know, if you get it on a random roll the biggest benefit frankly is with multi kills you get it generates small orbs of light which you know recharge your super basically so if you get um you know i could see these things being kind of like start a, a, here in a 
you know, month or so being kind of like mandatory for raids for raid groups. Uh, you get about three people in a strike with all masterworks. Uh, your your super production increases dramatically, like dramatically. So this was actually, I think, a really good, a much needed thing. The other thing it, it does is it gives you a single stat roll buff. Uh, so it'll add like plus 10 to range, plus 10 to handling, plus 10 to, to something. I think everything but damage, basically. Mm-hmm. Um it, which is kind of cool, and you can re you can re-roll this every time. So the masterwork thing, they're kind of designed somewhere in between, you know, the legendary and the exotic. It's not it's not a bad idea. I kind of like it. Uh, it's just it's another thing to grind for. Um, so that I think has worked well. They did a whole lot of tuning on a variety of things, w- which you would expect in their first major you know content dump patch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so there's a lot of things that it got kind of tuned up in a, in generally in a good way. Uh, so things are things are working pretty well. And you can also do the profit. They call them the prophecy weapons. So in Osiris, you once you get access to the lighthouse on Mercury, um, you basically get these lost prophecies from uh, Brother Vance, who is a total tool bag. Yes. Um, you you get those, and then you go out and you collect. Um, other forms of, as I like to refer to them, space vegetables. So you, you collect, you know, any number of these different uh, things in the world, generally through strikes, crucible, you know, activities in the world, not so much finding them. Um, you go add those to add the appropriate cookbook components to the, to the lost prophecy box that you get, which then in turn turns into something you can take over to the forge and it generates a weapon for you. The weapons themselves, I've got about four of them right now. They look really cool. They, there's, their art style is really, really neat. Like, so imagine like a hand cannon all vexified or a, a sword the same way. They're, they're quite, quite neat visually to look at stat wise. You know, some of, you know, they're kind of like most weapons, most legendaries. Some are really good. Some are meh, you know, okay. I haven't seen any of them that are horrible. Uh, so they, they do seem like they're, as far as I can tell right now, I would say that most of them are probably worth the grind. The cool thing is if you get through most of them or all of them, you get the 11th prophecy and it generates a quest that has a really kick-ass piece of lore like destiny lore associated with it. That is absolutely, um, it's like one of those words like, wow, that came out of nowhere. And like, what, like if you can do that really well, why haven't you been doing some of these other things better? One of those kind of moments. Um, which then leads you to a, a really, really badass you know weapon that you can get. But there's a there's there's a story, a short story arc uh, that you get that is absolutely phenomenal. That uh, has to do with a legendary guardian that you've heard about like numerous times in uh, uh, throughout the game in D1 and D2. Yeah, I was actually quite impressed with um, how they handled the adventures in Curse of Osiris, which is kind of leads you down that thread of thought um, with, with the particular part you're talking about. Uh, I think it almost felt like a second like main main scenario quest, although they did it, and it was actually quite done quite well. So, you know, they're they're getting there. Um, it's you know it's it's improving, but yeah, that the another verse um, lost prophecy is real interesting. Like that's it was very well done, very cool, very nice tie-in. Um, 
you know, I hope to see more of that in the future. But speaking of, you know, more story, it's actually uh, one thing that they kind of talked about a little bit earlier this week was they are doing their first official webcomic uh, for Destiny 2. And so this is actually yeah. going to be called The Fall of Osiris. Uh, it's going to be free launching next week, which is probably actually this week um, since the story came out a few days ago. Um, what do you think? I've heard some some mixed uh, feelings regarding the people working on it and, and some of the other stuff they've worked on. Uh, other than the fact that I'm aware they're doing it, I, I kind of know generally what, I mean, that really the fall of Osiris, it really, it, it's a lot of those hints are in a lot of these lore tabs that they have and a lot of grimoire cards from the original. Uh, you, it, it, I, if it's done well, it, it'll be good. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with the, kind of the story in terms of the background of Destiny lore, but it's um, effectively it's 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 I think it's told predominantly probably from the point of view of Ikora, I suspect, in terms of what what went on that uh, that made Osiris leave. Uh, so it's got the speaker, Ikora, Saint Fourteen, Zavala. I don't think Cade was around at that point, or at least he wasn't the vanguard. So that like you'll see you know quite a few tried and true destiny characters involved in like what led up up to Osiris departing and kind of how it went down. Interestingly enough, the person that the person that fired him, or at least that, that was tasked with giving him the message that he was no longer wanted was Ikora. Uh, and that's actually that's actually discussed briefly in the game. And I assume that there will be that you know that will be featured somewhat prominently. Do you know what format this is going to be on? Is it just going to be like on like Comixology or you know how, how are they releasing this? It's just online, so it's probably going to be through Bungie.net, honestly. Okay. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll check. They haven't really given concrete details on when it's coming out or what format, but it is a webcomic and it will be free. So um, you know, even if you don't have the Osiris DLC, you should still have access to this and uh, kind of see what's going on. And it might make you a little more interested in, in that thread of the story, which was, you know, pretty good. I, I wish there had been more of it in the actual game, but, you know, if you are a lore buff or have watched some of the, the really good lore videos on YouTube and that sort of thing, they've discussed a lot of this in depth and it's, it's good stuff. So hopefully it goes well and I hope they can kind of continue with this. Just, you know, it would be nice if you had more of it in game, but if it gets out there one way or another, I, I enjoy this sort of thing. So it should be good. Okay. So moving along here, Zell buddy yeah this is this is star citizen there's, there's gonna be a couple people who are like i told you so um you know so basically the the news item outright is that uh crytek which makes uh the cry engine game engine has uh filed a lawsuit against uh, cloud imperium games alleging a variety of things breach of license copyright infringement etc and uh, so what this breaks down to uh, is that uh, so Star Citizen is built on CryEngine. Uh, and cocaine and hookers. Yeah. So um, anyways, um, Star Citizen licensed CryEngine to use it for making the game. There were unteen billion terms because, you know, these engine deals are, um, you know, heavily negotiated to be ideal for, for both sides. And there's a lot of things that uh, Crytek actually did. Um, some of the early promos done uh, for Star Citizen were actually done by Crytek, uh, not RSI or, or SIG. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this was supposed to really be a big deal for Crytek, which is not Crytek has not been in a good place uh, as a business. Uh, they don't have a lot of solid products anymore. 
Um, you know, the the crisis, the original game was was very notable. The sequels to it were not. I don't think they're they have very many uh, companies using their engine still. You know, EA was you know of course has Frostbite. Unreal is still the big you know the big one uh, in in the field, and uh, so. This was this is kind of a big deal for for CryEngine for Star Citizen to succeed here and use their engine. Um, and then there's been a lot of different uh, little cuts that they've taken from uh, Cloud Imperium on how this has worked. Um, one of the things that uh, was expected, obviously, is they wanted to get their name out and as part of it. And uh, Sig has as they've modified CryEngine to work for them. Uh, Chris Roberts has started referring to what Star Citizen runs on as like Star Engine, like their own little custom fork of it. And they've actually stripped a lot of Crytex logos off of uh, Star Citizen that were there originally. Um, and additionally, uh, I, I know we talked about this when it happened, uh, is uh, Amazon has a fork of CryEngine called Lumberyard, and it's free. And there was a point... Uh, several months ago, where Star Citizen, where they said, you know, we're switching from CryEngine to Lumberyard, so Crytek basically lost out completely at that point. And one of, and, and that may have actually been against the terms of their original license for CryEngine, which was supposed to, you know, get them a game made on their engine. Um, another big one is that uh, when they first you know came up with star citizen it was going to have a single player campaign called squadron 42 and multiplayer and it was sold as one product and then they switched it so that star citizen was the mmo-ish thing squadron 42 was a separate single player game but they never licensed CryEngine for for squadron 42 but they did keep developing squadron 42 as well as you know using CryEngine for it so crytek has a lot here that they're going on they're saying, you know, they decided to produce a game. They didn't get a license to produce with our engine. They broke the license terms for the one they are developing. Um, you know, there's there's a lot here. Um, I think they really only need a couple of these claims to stick for it to hurt. Um, my view is that they probably do have a lot of merit to this case. Um, and I guess that they have they've hired a extremely uh, high powered lawyer uh, to uh push for this um and crytek really doesn't have a good reason to back down they need the money they had you know over the last year they've had a lot of issues even with like paying their own employees um they need the money i think they probably have a valid case here um and and this could re this is like the first time that someone said something about star citizen that i'd say yeah this could actually totally sink this ship do you think it will do you think this is actually gonna at least injure star citizen a lot i i i think it is um i think there's it like just from my own following of what they've done when you add to this crytek you know you just kind of assume that they figured out whatever licensing that they need behind the scenes right and it seems very much that they've played fast and loose with that and that they had an agreement with crytek that they almost certainly broke several different ways um and uh, so I, I think it could do a lot of damage. Whether or not it'll bankrupt them, it really depends. Um, you know, the the uh, heavily critical people towards Star Citizen, particularly Derek Smart, have given the indication that, you know, they think that Cloud Imperium's running on fumes to begin with. Um, and if that is the case, 
uh, this will completely screw any chances they had at at keeping things held together. Um, you know, I whether or not that would like if if that happens, if they lose this case, whether or not that would kill Star Citizen outright, I don't know. I think it's there's a lot of value in the property in terms of there's you know the the work that's been put into the game so far. Um, I. I think if somebody had with less feature creep wanted to go and take what there was and polish it out into a real product, I think they could do it much cheaper than start, you know, than Chris Roberts would. I would have to assume that if they managed to bankrupt Cloud Imperium Games, that Star Citizen's assets would be auctioned off. Um, and so some other game studio might pick it, p- pick up the whole franchise, IP assets and all for a bargain price. You know, that's 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 a possibility. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's really too early to say how it's going to go at this point. You know, obviously, Cloud Imperium said, we think this is a meritless lawsuit and we're going to fight it. And this and that, you know, the, the same boilerplate you get from anyone who just got sued. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because if they go down and fail to deliver a product, that's going to be a real fun shit show to watch with all these people that have sunk all of this money into this, this product. And it's like, well, sorry, we're closing shop, you know? Well, Crytek <laughs> got all that money. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it's one of those things, you know, um, I, I've never made the assumption that any spending that I did on it was a guarantee. Um, right. it, it's crowdfunding. It's, you know, they were talking about, they wanted to build something that was the sort of thing that was crazy on, you know, nobody, nobody, sane would go and say i'm gonna fund building this uh as a as a as a company um and that's why i backed it um i know that it's it's a far reach thing to do what they've said they're going to do uh and if they fall short they fall short and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pitch a fit about it um it definitely would be disappointing if what killed it was them screwing around behind the scenes with business and licensing terms as opposed to like just not being able to do it or not having the enough resources to do what they were trying to do um that would that would be disappointing but there's also the you know there's there's the possibility that some other studio could buy it and turn it into something really great um that you know Chris Roberts might have screwed along failing to do for the next 3 or 4 years yeah, I mean, that's a possibility as well. I mean, we've seen some other products that have, you know, been purchased and ultimately got pushed out with, you know, a pretty solid product, even though the previous owner had been kind of dragging it along for a decade, um, looking at Square Enix. Uh, but, you know, it's um, it'll be interesting to see. And I, you know, I really do hope that they can come to some resolution on this because I, I really would hate to see people like yourself or those who even sunk even more money into it to, you know, kind of have it all go up in flames because someone forgot to, you know, call Crytek and, and pay for their, their licensing fee. I mean, it'd be kind of ridiculous. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's nothing about forgetting anywhere. There was probably some hope that things, oh, would, sure. you know, that they could get away with something. Um, you know, I, I think that more than likely the, the attempt, the switch to Lumberyard was to avoid the license fees of having to, to license for Squadron 42, but they did that like a full year after they split it into a separate product. Right. Um, so even, even though they are on Lumberyard now, there's the point that they spent, you know, potentially a, a, like a year developing a game using their engine that they didn't license for that purpose. Um, so, you know, even, even some of those subtle differences could be, could be painful for them. And, uh, one of the, the, uh, oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. 
I had something. Um, you had a bank account before you dipped into uh, Star Citizen. Yeah, whatever. I I, <laughs> I, I, I lost where I was. I, I got um, you, man. But, uh, yeah, tried to get away with it, probably, to the, the Lumberyard switch, and whether or not that actually absolves them of any cost. Oh, um, the other thing is, is, like, there's been screenshots that have suggested that they still use like folders named CryEngine and stuff in their builds so so the like the question is is we know you know lumberyard is a properly licensed fork of CryEngine, but if they just said hey we're switching to lumberyard but didn't actually switch to lumberyard if they're still using CryEngine and just calling it lumberyard there's a lot of interesting things that they could have uh could stumble into you know this is that's one of those things lawyers lawyers go into discovery and force people to you know bring up emails and copies of records and stuff um uh, oh and the other claim that was in here i forgot to mention it uh was that uh star citizen does a lot of like video series on their development work uh one of them called bug smashers uh crytek is saying that they've shown off uh proprietary uh confidential CryEngine information in that series <laughs> um and so that's that's also a part of this claim so there's there's a lot of different claims here um and uh i suspect this is gonna hurt at the very least fighting it is gonna hurt so yeah I, i've got a so i mean you, I, we we joke a lot about this but i i will i will absolutely come on board with you and say that uh you know what chris roberts was was slash is trying to do with this game is is um uh, you, you know pretty enticing but by, by anybody's stretch it's also very peter molyneux and that you know guy never met a game he didn't like to not make you know so I, i've got to ask i'm just curious like what's your what's your no shit honest read on are you do you think there will be at least under the current owner and management and developing you know the, the current development studio do you ever see Star Citizen actually coming out, or do you think it's kind of like what you said, like, hey, they're going to get this thing so far along, and then, and like, a lot of the Legos will be there, but somebody else will need to come in and put all of this together to, to actually have a a no kidding commercial releasable product. Well, I mean, like, do you remember when we back in the dust days? There was like, there was like, we were playing like the same build of the beta for like eight months. And then they had a patch that wasn't actually better, and in many ways it was worse. But they're like, this is released now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there is so much of Star Citizen that's already there and playable. I mean, I've I've landed on a planet now, and, and I've flown around in that. And it's a constantly improving product. Um, I suspect it will be some sort of business reality where they just go, well, we, we're calling this release now because we have to. And it may or may not have all of the things that you expected release to have. Um, I, you know, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my read on it. I don't know if, I don't know if there will ever be a point that like this groundbreaking shift from not done to done. Um, it just gets more, st- more closer to done. And at some point, somewhere along that chain, they'll end up saying, well, this is an officially released product now. And that will probably have more to do with the business needs than the actual quality of the game at that time. That's fair. Now, like, like I said, I, I you know, I, I take great pleasure in throwing jabs at people that uh, that are into Star Citizen. That being said, I've you know, I've donated a fair share of money to a variety of Kickstarters as well, or you know, basically crowdsourced, you know, crowdfunded, uh, you know, kind of offerings and things like that. So, I. 
I really appreciate what he's what they're trying to do, but I just think it is uh, fraught with peril. Uh, and 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 the one thing I would say generally is that the game development world is absolutely littered with um, you know a lot of good ones and zeros that are that look great and probably played well that never saw the light of day um, just because the game never got made. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we'll we'll continue to cover that uh, moving forward. I think we we <laughs> a good a good discussion about Star Citizen. You know, jokes aside, um, it's certainly a phenomenon within you know kind of the industry, and it's it's something that I find very interesting. So we'll we'll continue with that and uh, go from there. Okay, so one thing I did want to talk about that we skipped last week is Monster Hunter World. Uh, this is an open beta that occurred last weekend. Um, I gave it a shot, and we just were running way too long on time then, so I, I cut it out, and I was going to do it this week. So uh, I give Monster Hunter World a shot, and kind of the quick explanation of what the game is is you're a guy going out into the wild with up to three friends, so up to four-person co-op, carrying giant oversized weapons, killing giant oversized monsters, skinning them and turning their basically their bodies into new weapons and armor, which you then go to you know rinse and repeat. Um, so pretty straightforward in, in terms of what it's doing. There is kind of a story, but that didn't get really touched on in the beta. But, uh, you know, it's kind of that, you know, sort of co-op uh, gameplay loop. Um, the way that the kind of actual mission works is it's a 20-minute time limit, at least the ones I did, and you're kind of dumped at a camp in this big open world with the mission to find, hunt down, and kill this monster. And so it kind of has a, we'll say, kind of an evolve feel to it, except that it's it's entirely PvE. There is no, like, uh, there's no player controlling the monster. It's just an AI monster. But you have to drop in, you have to find clues, tracks, mucus, droppings, <laughs> whatever, um, to kind of pick up the trail, and you hunt this thing down, um, and then you find, and you have to fight it. And there's kind of multiple stages of the fight where you, um, and you find it, you fight it, it, it gets a certain HP value, it runs away, you got to hunt it down again, find it, drop its HP to a certain level, then it runs kind of to its lair, which is... Um, it's like its nest. It's where it is at its strongest. Like for how it attacks, how it fights, that environment is the best place for it to fight you. And that's kind of a big final showdown. Uh, and so it's kind of this race against the clock to find this thing, hunt it down, and kill it. Um, really, really fun gameplay loop. Uh, very, very positive. I really liked it. Um, the kind of the cool part is that there's like 14 different weapon types, and they're like extremely different from one another. Uh, like, so there's like four ranged weapons and then like 10 melee weapons and they all kind of have their own gimmick. They all play a little bit differently. Um, you have to have your mind in a different mindset for each one. Uh, I had a lot of fun just kind of trying all of them out and just see how they, they play and it was refreshing each time to give a new one a shot. So I really like that because with the way these monsters are and kind of how they have different diverse um, abilities, skill sets, that sort of thing. We started kind of having this um, conversation, like we failed the mission, like shit. Okay. What, what can we change in kind of our group composition to make it work better for this particular monster and how it fights and that sort of thing. I really, really enjoy that kind of level of strategy and, and working as a group and trying different things. And like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and you're going to switch to this weapon or try this tactic. And you know, that, that kind of happened organically. It was really fun. I really liked it. That was, that was awesome. 
Um, one kind of interesting bit is that the game has something that's called like friendly friendly fire, in that you can't hurt your allies, as in you can't like actually like make their HP go down by hitting them with your weapon, but you can trip them up and knock them around with it. So if you've got this big long sword and you're swinging it around and you you hit the guy next to you, he's going to get thrown across the room. So you really have to think like. Do we have too many melee guys? Like, where is this person going to stand? Is this guy going to attack the head and this guy's going to attack the tail? Um, because we don't want them too close to each other and, and, and tripping each other up. Um, and it kind of had this other layer of gameplay where you had to kind of think about, um, you know, who's going to do what and really be careful about it. You can't just swing around like an idiot. You've got to actually really strategize and, and, and play in a way that's going to be beneficial to the group and not screw up what everyone else is trying to do. Um, so the communication on that was really key, really fun, um, just just a really good experience. I was actually really surprised. Uh, Monster Hunter is a very long-running franchise. It's been mostly on like mobile titles like Vita, um, uh, Nintendo can't help, that sort of thing. I think this is the first one that's actually been like a console release. Um, and so it's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. So it's it's on everything. But the game looks fantastic. It plays really, really well. Um, the gameplay kind of reminds me a little bit of like an older game I played called Fantasy Star Online, where you would kind of run around and, and fight monsters, and it kind of had this combo system where you had to, you know, pick and choose your weapons and kind of combo things properly. And it was really, really fun couch co-op. We played it on the uh, the GameCube. And this kind of brought me back to that sort of feel. Um, but a little more advanced, more intricate, um, which is good because, you know, PSO, as much as I loved it, was very simplistic. Uh, so this was extremely refreshing. I was very surprised. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the controls took a while to get used to because the weapons are so different from each other that you pretty much have to learn a whole new control scheme for every single weapon. So when they drop you into the beta and you got 20 minutes to hunt down the monster and learn how to use the new weapon, that was a little frustrating. But uh, I think being able to take some more time to actually kind of digest everything in a more controlled fashion will, will help a lot. But that was kind of a complaint I have is the controls were were very um, touchy and difficult to work with. A lot of that frustration came from the fact that the game is, like it, it heavily punishes you for not planning what you're going to be doing so when i say that i mean like if you want to use an item you've got to put the weapon away like you got to sheath it to actually pull the item out of your pack and use it in most cases well some of these things are like i said stupidly oversized swords we're talking like the damn things like 10 feet long you know it's 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 anime stupid right but big heavy weapons take a long time to put away because they're big and heavy you don't move very well with these things while they're out so if you want to like use a healing potion, you've got to take three, four seconds to put the thing away before you can even pull the potion out. And then that has an animation you have to go through before it will actually heal you. And then you've got to pull the weapon back out again, and that takes a while if it's a bigger weapon. Or if you want to like sprint, you got to put the weapon away. You can't move very quickly with the thing out. So a lot of it is you need to know where you need to stand and how to block and how to dodge roll in a way that's going to allow you to keep doing damage because you have to put the thing away and sprint away. It's a 15 second investment. Um, I think which, that, was, that was the most fun. I mean, just on that note, the it away, it was kind of like trying to get a toddler to get, go faster. And they're like, oh no, I have to, okay, I'm going to walk over here. And like, Can you just drink the potions? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is when I accidentally hit the cook meat uh, command. And yes. I literally, like there's like a T-Rex like, eating my brother and throwing Libby into a wall. And I, my character literally puts my sword away, whips out a chair in a fucking spit, 
and sticks like a hunk of raw meat on and starts like cooking it over a campfire in the middle of a fight. I'm like, what am I doing? That is legit. <laughs> so everyone's dying. Well, and then I'm, it was like, like you might as well stick. finish because you're going to get better healing, but you're just like, do, 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 yeah. Do, do. yeah. Yeah, no, it was, there were some pretty funny moments where I'm like, what, what the hell is going on? Why am I cooking food all of a sudden? Um, so, the, like I said, the controls were kind of the biggest problem with that. Um, and that just made kind of the limitations of the game uh, a little more frustrating. There's a lot of moments where we were like, damn it, like, I, I just wanted to, to dodge roll and I ended up putting the sword away. And now it's like, I got to pull the thing out again and take the time before I, you know, get hit by, by the T-Rex I'm hunting. And that was kind of frustrating. I think that's probably the learning curve of the game is is really getting a feel for how each weapon type works and how it's going to play and how it's going to feel and what you can do and how fast you can do it. In many ways, it's a lot like Dark Souls or Demon Souls or, or Bloodborne, where it's like timing is everything. You have to know exactly what you're capable of doing and don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to swing at a bad time and get absolutely pummeled um, because it's... The game is deliberate. Most of the weapons are very slow and deliberate. And, you know, there's some quick ones out there. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the bigger ones that do a lot of damage, if you screw up, it really punishes you. And to a point where the game even says, like, here is the difficulty weapon, the difficulty level for this weapon type. Like, if you're a beginner, don't use this thing. You're going to get your ass kicked. But some of them are a lot more easier to use. So, you know, it's, it's kind of got that high skill, high reward sort of thing going on. So... If, you know, they do another beta, I do suggest people get in there. Don't listen to the difficulty suggestion. If it says, like, this is great for beginners, start with that thing. Because I picked one that was, un unbeknownst to me, difficult to use. And I was like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. So um, that's that's my word of advice if, if you do give this one a shot. But, you know, honestly, the, the beta convinced me that I, I really want this game. Um, frustrations aside, it, it was really really fun i was having a blast doing it even if we were kind of struggling on some parts but the core loop the systems it had um kind of that ability to to master weapons and, and learn their animations and that sort of thing it really appealed to me it was a very good experience and i, I thought it was awesome what about you Libby? did you did you care for it i liked it um like you said the frustration you had and i, I wish that they would give you and i know this is because they were running a better idea of what the weapons were you were using um, I think there was a lot of debate of what actually am I using because I think the arrow was actually a gun. It was just really weird. <laughs> yeah, the bow gun. Yeah. Um, in a, other sorry, than that, other than that, I thought it was good. I I I would still play it slash actually buy it because it's a different. Class. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, frustrations aside, I, I think this is a kind of game that. If you are familiar yeah. with the series because you've been playing it for years, it's probably real easy to pick up and just go with it. Um, but for us, you know, neither of us have played a Monster Hunter game before, so going in blind was kind of like, whoa, there's a lot to take in here. Uh, so that that was that is a hurdle to get over, but I think that it'll be worth it once we kind of get past that. So I'm, I'm looking forward for this one to come out. Uh, it releases January 26, 2018, so we still got, you know, a, a little over a month to go, but... Uh, it's coming out on all platforms, PS4, Xbox One, PC. So looking forward to it. And I will probably pre-order this one. Um, I don't usually do that, but I was very enthralled with the beta. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so kind of our last uh, our last item here is uh, something that Livy and I, um, we do the Dungeon Crawl series on YouTube. We do the kind of Let's Play through various games, usually ones that are going to result in me dying repeatedly. And uh, our first game that we did was Resident Evil 7. And uh, we did... 
the main game, uh, and then we did the two DLCs that came out shortly after the game was launched, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then things kind of dropped off for a while. Well, recently, this last week, the uh, two remaining DLCs that they were planned to launch uh, came out. So yesterday and um, a little bit today, I think, we went and played through those two DLCs. So there's two DLCs that came out. There was the not not a hero DLC, which is actually free for all owners of the game, and then there was the end of Zoe DLC, which was uh, part of the season pass, or you could purchase it separately, or if you bought the gold edition of the game, it was also included. So uh, the not a hero one was free, and then the end of Zoe was the paid one. Uh, we had the season pass, so we got both of them um, and gave them a shot. So those episodes are going to be coming out real soon here. Um, probably the next things will be released on YouTube, so keep an eye on the website for that. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit kind of about the experience. We we had um, and kind of the implications as this kind of wraps up the whole Resident Evil 7 storyline and kind of moving forward into the future for what they plan for the franchise, uh, hopefully in Resident Evil 8. So the Not a Hero DLC was the kind of continuation of the story. In the main game you play as Ethan uh, Winters, who is kind of a nobody. Um, he's just an average dude that gets sucked into a really shitty situation and kind of has to figure it all out and, and escape. And he ultimately does, obviously, spoilers. Um, and he's kind of rescued by uh, a group of people from a revitalized uh, Umbrella Corporation uh, and a guy named Chris Redfield, who is, if you're familiar with the series, um, a major main character in this in the, in the game series uh, he was the main character of the first game and he's appeared in several games as the main character um, so seeing him show up was no surprise it was kind of expected so the not a hero dlc takes the perspective of chris redfield um immediately following the events of the game and it's like right after i think and so it was kind of touted as this a little more action oriented, um, a little more combat focused, that sort of thing, and just kind of wrapping up all the loose ends of the story, um, which I think it did pretty well. I think there was a few, there was a, a character that was alive at the end, um, and he kind of becomes the antagonist of this DLC. So I think, in terms of the expectations they set, um, it was nice that it was free because this is kind of critical to the story because they kind of set things up for the next game. I won't get too many spoilers in case you haven't played it yet. Um, but I think that it was good to have this one be free. The quality was actually surprisingly good. I think we we did it in two episodes, but I think it was a little over an hour and a half for all of the content. So not a ton of content, but you know, for a free update, it wasn't bad. You know, we had a lot of fun doing it. I think it was definitely more action-oriented. Um, the final fight is a boss fight. And I think I had like 140 shotgun shells, which is absurd for a Resident Evil game. Like usually at most you have like 20. Um, so you could pretty much go in and just use your guns willy-nilly. Like you could gun your way through everything. Uh, it maintained a lot of the same systems that the previous um, main game had, but it added a few gimmicks, which are kind of fun. Um, and lets you kind of be more of a, a military badass and just go through and, and gun everything down, which was, you know, it was refreshing. It didn't step too far away, I think, from what they did with the main game, which is kind of bring it back down to, to ground level and make it less ridiculous, like, no joke, Resident Evil 6 had a, a T-Rex in it. It was that stupid. Um, so they, they kind of got away from that in 7, which is very refreshing. I know we've talked about you know how that was kind of a highlight of, of the game, was that it was very down-to-earth. Um, and I think this one kind of maintained that. It, it, it brought the, the level of intensity up a bit, but you're going from an average Joe to a guy who's you know been training to fight 
bioterrorism threats for years, you're going to feel a bit of a difference in what they're capable of. And I think that that came through in a reasonable and expected fashion. So um, what do you think, Livy, in terms of you know how the, the Not A Hero DLC played out? Did you feel it, it, it stayed true to kind of what Seven was trying to do? Yeah, I mean, it played, um, I mean, it basically let you explore further than what Seven did. I mean, you do end Seven going on, geez, I wish I were there, so like, going on how he looks, but um, the gameplay, it was on par to what it, what it should be, I hope. Yeah, I mean, it felt, it felt good. You know, like I said, it was kind of a more intense version of what the main game was, and it, it, it still felt really good, um, and it was good to kind of have that closure to the story and kind of set things up for what's going to hopefully come next, because I, I do want them to continue with this thread. So then we get to the uh, end of Zoe uh, <laughs> DLC. Yes. Talk about Joe. Talk about Joe. So Joe Baker is Jack Baker's brother, and Jack Baker is one of the primary antagonists in the main game. Um, Joe is not infected with the bacteria, which is causing all of the shit. So he kind of shows up uh, several weeks after all of this has gone down. So this is a few weeks after the Not a Hero DLC, um, and he finds Zoe Baker um, kind of out in the swamp, and she's been crystallized. If you've played the main game, you understand why that happens. Um, I won't get into that because it's it's not important unless you've actually you know seen it. But you know he he finds her and he's like, oh, well, she's what the hell happened? He has no idea what's going on. He just knows that there's these monsters roaming around. And he's like, well, my my niece here is obviously in in trouble. Um, she's still alive, but clearly there's something wrong with her. And so it kind of goes into this. Um, plot of he's trying to find medicine to get her cured and that sort of thing. Fine. Okay, that makes sense. The thing is, is that Joe Baker is this grisly old hillbilly badass, and guns are below him. You literally go through the entire DLC punching these mold monsters in the face, snapping their necks, and spearing them with with throwing spears. Like, he, you pretty much just, you know, hook, jab, jab, things, heads off. It, it's completely ridiculous um and then at some parts it actually turns into this like you know southern style brawl in a ring where you're basically you know going toe to toe with this this kind of elite zombie who's taunting you and you're just you know beating the shit out with your bare feet bare fists and so it's it's ridiculous um you know it, it goes from i'm very weak and i'm scavenging from supplies and trying to you know craft bullets so i can survive to joe baker doesn't give a shit about anything and he's just gonna punch everything to death like punching gators to death that have been in fact it's 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 insane it's off the wall and you you don't think it's gonna get any more crazy and then it does because you get a particular weapon which is even more ridiculous um I'm afraid that this one kind of started slipping back into some of the insanity that the previous games had. I mean, it was kind of funny, but at the same time, it was like, really? You know, we went from this kind of really down-to-earth, you know, you feel vulnerable, you're really struggling to survive, to I'm just punching zombies' heads off. Um, Which is satisfying, but also kind of ridiculous. So, as a DLC is a short little story. I think we, we did it like in an hour and a half. It was again, kind of short. Um, fine. You know, I just hope they can kind of keep it out of the main games. I, I, I want them to maintain that very down to earth feel in the next game. And if they want to do something kind of silly with, with DLCs that are an add on fine, but I, I hope they don't get too ahead of themselves again and start getting weird like they did with six. 
What do you think, Libby, of the uh, the the DLC, the end of Zoe? I think he summed it up well. Um, oh crap! What is that thing? I really want to like the whole honey badger mentality, but um, I know that they were having fun with it. They didn't get too crazy with it. I mean, like from playing six, I think I paid four times four times from each perspective. I'm still okay with this one. So we're, we're yeah, because he goes from you know you know boo 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 military boo boo boo. I hate them. He's like. Oh well, this is—they're not—they're not so bad. I'll use this, so give it a go. It's not that. It wasn't that expensive, was it? I uh, honestly, I would. You can buy it individually for like fifteen dollars, but I think the season pass, which gets everything, is like twenty-five. It might be even less now. I wouldn't buy these a la carte. I think I just get the whole thing. So, I mean, we've—if you've watched the Dungeon Crawl series, you know they've got some interesting. Um, interesting things that are included in that that season pass. It's it's probably worth it. Um, uh, we were kind of talking about it as we were playing, and then that some of the DLCs they have are outside the normal gameplay cycle. Um, but I think they kind of wanted to try something different using the engine. Like one of them is, is like literally an escape the room sort of deal, where you have to kind of try to figure out how to get the tools and and, and get out of this room. And it's like it's using the engine; it's, it's in the same world and the universe and that sort of thing. Um, but it's obviously not you know fighting zombies. And I think that was actually kind of fun. So. Uh, these DLCs are kind of a way for them to go, well, we're going to use the world we've built, but we're going to kind of put a twist on the gameplay and give you a different experience. Um, and I, I felt really good about it. I think the DLCs felt really good. Um, as I always say with DLCs, are you getting like dollar for dollar the best value? Probably not. You're probably getting a little screwed. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it's $5 extra from what it probably should be priced at, you know what's what's the big difference here? So I, I think that the the DLCs in general for Resident Evil Seven were quite good. Um, they had a, a fair amount of replayable um, value, and I think that you know if you're going to invest in the game, just get the whole thing and you know just enjoy it all. I think that this is probably the end of the DLC uh, for this game. I think they're done. So if you get the Gold Edition, which is kind of the most recent one, I think it's probably all that's included. Um, but if not, you can still get the original version and then buy the season pass for an additional amount. And the game is is cheap now. Um, I think if you get the game with the season pass, it's probably less than sixty bucks. So still worth it. I think it's a fantastic game, um, a real good return to the roots of the series, even with a little bit of craziness at the end there. And overall, it was it was a good experience. I think it was a good game to kind of start our our series on, and uh, it was good to return to it. But I think we're done with it, and uh, you know. Looking forward to the next one that comes out. With that said, guys, I think we are good for topics here. So we're going to go into some shout outs. Um, unless you guys had anything else you needed to touch on. Go for it. Okay. So my shout out is I had an awesome lunch today. Livy and I went to uh, Gen Korean Barbecue. Um, I've never been to a Korean style barbecue before, but uh, if you aren't familiar with it, basically you sit down and there's like a grill in the middle of the table and you just order meat and other things and they just bring like raw steak, raw chicken, that sort of thing, and you cook it on the grill in front of you to, you know, however you like it to be cooked. And there's different spices and, and sauces you can put on it. And you can kind of make it the way you want. So, um, so are you saying you go to a restaurant for them, for, for you to cook your own food? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't and you, cook, you, though. You pay so for this. I, I did pay for this. So I got to give a shout really to Livy because we sat down. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I'm sitting there looking at it, and it's dawning on me. I don't actually know how to cook. And now they're bringing me food that I have to cook. And I, I looked at her with this pitiful look of, oh, God, please help me. And she's like, 
do you want me to cook everything? I'm like, yes, please. Um, so. he, he had the Jesus take the will look like. <laughs> Can you make meat <sighs> edible? Make meat go. <laughs> I don't want to hear a word out of you, Jay. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was really good. Um, yes, it is a little silly that you have to go to a restaurant and then you're paying for them to, you know, have you cook your own food. But to be fair, the, the ingredients they gave were like really high quality. Like it was some really damn good meat and you know it was it was really enjoyable so shout out to those guys and shout out to Libby for saving me from my my own lack of uh, ability to actually you know take care of myself did they give you scissors they did actually yes yeah. they did because they had to cut the octopus apart i was like no no no, no that's for the calvi uh the uh, steak was was epic like it was really really so good. now the, the real question is like after you grilled it well quote unquote you aka Libby grilled it uh, did you put it in a small leaf of lettuce, like a big Scooby snack, and eat it? Uh, can't say that I did, but uh, all I had was chopsticks, so that was kind of interesting. That, 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 that does not those, count. They have those <laughs> options. Like, you can wrap it in lettuce, or you can get, like, if you have yes. pork belly, you can put it in, like, the dumpling. Um, but you, but yes. you have to order all those pieces <laughs> if you're planning to do that. But I know uh. that, you know, since it was our first time there, I know now if we go back, we can grab those things. That it's like you pay twenty five dollars and you eat all you can in two yep. hours, yep. and yep. and go for it. You know that's that's pretty common. Like in uh, in, uh, in Korea, it's you can depending on where you go, it anywhere from like fifteen to twenty five bucks. You know, and a lot of times it'll be all the all the food you can drink and all the beer you can drink, all the beer and soda you can have too. It's all it's all one price. Um, but the appropriate way to do that is you use the shears to cut the meat, like the beef, not the octopus, and uh, you kind of make a little Scooby snack out of the uh, out of the lettuce and the other fixings that come with it. So this is uh, again uh, Jay's life lessons. Um, this little intercut that we do occasionally. <laughs> Usually Bates here for those, but but sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's pokey. Well, and we we are actually going to announce that Jay is going to be starting a biomass themed cooking show um, moving forward, where he prepares various meats and uh, and <laughs> get the the whole like top down camera view of his uh, his kitchen there, and he can just put everything together and and show gamers how to actually learn and cook and take care of themselves. So Why, people like me can. Uh, <laughs> I do not eat Cheetos because powdered cheese is disgusting, but uh, yeah, no, something like that. Like like many things, it was also created by the United States government uh, for soldiers to eat. Well, there you go. Sounds legit. I'm pretty sure it keeps very well. Yep. <laughs> All right, Louie, what's your shout out? Uh, my shout out is uh, if you're looking for a last minute gift for one of those uh, friends that absolutely loved Destiny has a new device that is made to pair up with your uh, Echo or Alexa, whatever you want to call it. And you can actually uh, talk to it and ask it to do various things for your Destiny. It's kind of like, I want to say it's like a voice activated Destiny. You can ask it to load up your raid loadout and change it inside Destiny game. You can ask it all kinds of different things. It seems like they put some of the grimoire information in there. I'm not quite sure. Um, it's not on sale until December, I think it's said December 19th. That's correct. For $80? 90 90 $90. Um, it looks pretty cool. I mean, I personally wouldn't have a need for it because I play Destiny you know, every full moon. But for someone who's hardcore at it, I think that'd yeah, be pretty, you know, legit to have. If you have an Echo, you have to have an Echo or else no go. 
and to clarify, it is literally like a physical ghost that sits in your desk and lights up, and then will you can you talk to it, and it will manage your inventory using the Destiny Two go, uh, skill for the Alexa. So yeah, it's so I, it I looks really nice. Buy it just to have the freaking ghost. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I don't need the game, but you look pretty cool. Okay, Zell, you're up. What's your uh, your show? Um, so uh, we talked about uh, last week uh, that about the uh, world's greatest Christmas movie, which is of course Die Hard. And uh, I've actually seen uh, there's there's been some kind of, there's always kind of some comedy that shows up around this time. Um, I, Netflix tweeted out that um, you know in response to the death threats that they've received for uh, not recognizing Die Hard as a Christmas movie that they wanted to say that they do not uh, you know they do not respond to terrorists. Um, but uh, Dish Network actually collected up some statistics to uh, prove that it is definitively a Christmas movie. And uh, they specified that last year, approximately 1.3 million Americans watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve, which was more than the Santa Claus or Home Alone. Um, and uh, that uh, more people watched this than uh, on Christmas Eve than Love Actually, um, more than Miracle, in 30, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, all sorts of, uh, you know, titles they have. The number of hours of Die Hard have been that have been recorded on Dish DVRs on Christmas Eve's. Um, it's, it's entertaining. Um, this was, uh, the tech Harris guys had this posted up and, and, uh, I, I wanted to share that, uh, yeah, there, it is mathematically, you know, the, the world's greatest Christmas movie. It's mathematically a Christmas movie. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, Jay, you're up, man. Yep. Uh, okay. So shout out. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Stipe Miocic. Uh, some of you may know who he is. I doubt anybody else in this podcast does. So Stipe Miocic is the uh, reigning UFC heavyweight champion, MMA fighter. Uh, he's also a very big Call of Duty fan, um, like like a lot. Uh, he, he plays quite a bit. He actually plays a lot of PlayStation 4 games, period. So uh, his day job, he's a firefighter, and that's sort of how he spends his time when he's not actually training for combat sports and stuff like that. So... Uh, like most firefighters, you know, it's you're working a 24-hour shift, so you probably work two, maybe three times out of 10 days, maybe. Uh, and most of that time, once you get done with whatever normal, like, maintenance stuff that you got to do, you're probably working out, you're cooking, or you're, like, watching TV, or in his case, he plays a lot of PlayStation. So, in particular, Call of Duty. So, uh, he was kind of regaling a pretty humorous story on a on a podcast where... Uh, he gets together and he plays with, he's got like a regular gaming group that he plays with and uh, he gets, he'll routinely get taunted by, you know, 14 year old like slum lords and shit, you know, probably some dude in, in his mom's basement going, God, you're such a noob. God, you suck so bad. It's just hard to come over there and kick your fucking ass. Talking to a 265 pound grown man, firefighter slash UFC heavyweight champion. So for all of you out there and you don't know, you always got to watch who you might be playing with and talking shit to. Uh, he says one of the, the biggest, the biggest joys he gets is like when he's like on proximity chatter, he's like in, in like a random pickup game and somebody just talks mad shit to him. He just stays there. He's quiet. Doesn't say a word. His buddies who know who he is, and a couple of them are actually fighters too. They desperately want to just like, do you have any idea who you're talking to? <laughs> Uh, but that's my shout out is uh, to uh, Stipe Miocic, and he's going to be uh, defending his title against Francis Ngannou. I think 
coming up in on the 20th of January. It should be a pretty good fight. All right. Well, that sounds pretty good. I think that's a wrap for this show. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And uh, as always, you know, we, we've got new episodes coming out every week at the podcast here. And we've got uh, usually two episodes of our Dungeon Crawl series over on YouTube popping up as well. So you know, be sure to tune in and all that. And uh, everyone, have a safe week out there. Um, I think we'll probably see you guys one more time before Christmas. Uh, we're going to be recording a little bit early so we can get that taken care of. But uh, yeah, have a good holiday and be safe out there.